Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Going Dutch podcast. A look at the wonderful world of German football, which this week is celebrating its 50th episode. And yeah, it's absolutely fantastic to have made it to the Big 5 I've done a lot of sort of podcasts and shows in the past. Very few of them, though, reach 50. I think this is... I think going the NFL Blitz has reached... 50 episodes before this so it, it's a very exciting milestone for me maybe not so much for anyone else but you know it's it's nice because I've now been doing this for a year and a half and yeah it's always nice to hit these sort of milestones and to see that over that time span more and more people have started listening to the podcast and hopefully enjoying it as well. I hope you have been enjoying it and if you're a new listener I hope you enjoy what's to come. So welcome to the show today. I hope you're doing well. I hope this podcast finds you in good health as per usual. Of course it's not just me celebrating a landmark occasion this week. The Bundesliga was also celebrating a landmark because It came back this weekend, of course you know that, but it was also celebrating its 60th anniversary because, of course, the Bundesliga started in the 1963-64 season and 60 years later, it's still going strong and we are very thankful for that and it returned in exactly the way we would have expected. It was predictable in the best sort of way because we expected there to be lots of goals, lots of excitement, lots of drama and the Bundesliga did deliver on that this weekend. I do have to mention, though, as well, that it was also predictable that we were going to have refereeing controversies this weekend because we've been getting quite a few of them recently, and unfortunately, they were back in full force as well. So we are going to have to talk about them, but all in all, a very exciting weekend of German football, and I saw a lot of... People on social media, Reddit and other such places going, wow, this is just so typical of the Bundesliga with all of the goals and excitement. And it makes you wonder why some of them don't watch it, but that's their prerogative. They are a bit weird though, let's face it. Anyway, with nothing more to be said, let's go into the opening round of the Bundesliga then, and I think there's only one place we can really start off, a game that had lots of goals, lots of late drama and controversy as well. Augsburg for Borussia Mönchengladbach for, yeah, I didn't expect that this game would be top of the running order, in fact, I probably thought that it would have been bottom of the running order, but anyway... This was the first league match in charge for new Borussia Mönchengladbach head coach Gerardo Serwane. Obviously, we already know who Serwane is. He was the Bayer Leverkusen manager for one and a bit seasons, getting sacked at the beginning of last season and being replaced by Xabi Alonso, of course, at Bayer Leverkusen. But he is now with Borussia Mönchengladbach, replacing Daniel Farker, who was sacked last summer. This summer, sorry, I should say. Anyway, his new Borussia Mönchengladbach side would get off to a fast start, opening the scoring of the 13th minute. Co Itakova heading in a corner. Then 2-0 in the 27th minute, Julian Weigel playing in Thomas Savanchava for a goal on his Bundesliga debut. He joined from Sparta Prague this summer. It should also be said as well, Julian Weigel is a new signing of sorts. He was on loan at Borussia Mönchengladbach last season, but he has made his move from Benfica permanent this summer. 
Augsburg would get their first goal back just two minutes later. Alvis Rexbergai with the best goal of this game, drilling one from far out into the bottom corner. But it was 3-1 in the 37th minute. Jonas Omlin, the goalkeeper, of course, and new captain of Borussia Mönchengladbach, which is interesting because, of course, he's only been there for half a season. But he would play a long ball down the pitch, which was collected by Nathan Ngomu with an amazing first touch to get it around his defender before beating the goalkeeper, Finn Darman, in a one-on-one. -on -one. Maxibar would make it 3-2 in the 41st minute before the most controversial incident of the first half. With seven minutes gone in first half at a time, Augsburg would get a penalty. And to be really, really kind, it was very light. Really kind to the referee, that is. Lucanets colliding with Arnie Engels, but to be honest, I wouldn't give it as a penalty, and I don't think most people would either. Like, I can see where the ref's coming from, but not for me. Anyway, the penalty was converted by Sven Michel, who joined this summer from Union Berlin. That made it 3 all at the half-time break. Welcome back to the Bundesliga. The second half did not have as many goals in, but it was still very exciting. In the 76th minute, Augsburg would take the lead. Ruben Vargas drilling it into the bottom corner. And then the second controversial incident of this game in the 97th minute, so seven minutes into second half at a time. We had a bit of deja vu because this time Borussia Mönchengladbach were given a penalty. And again, this one was also on the light side. Ruben Vargas's swinging leg catching Ivandro Borges Sanchez. Again, I wouldn't have given this penalty either. I thought it was on the light side. It was more of a penalty than the Augsburg penalty was, but not by much. And yeah... Two, two bad penalties. I know two wrongs don't make a right, but in all fairness, it does feel like they've balanced out each other in this match at least. So, seven minutes on the clock in second half added time, Thomas Savanchara would score the penalty to make it four all at full time. Yeah, penalty deja vu, both given in the seventh minute of added time in two different halves, both controversial, both scored. And a draw was the final result, I think. Probably about the fair result as well. Augsburg definitely impressing me more on the basis of this game, if only because I expected them to lose this. I expected Borussia Mönchengladbach to be better than they were. But there's not much you can say on the basis of this one game because we are only one game into the season, 33 to go. And this could mean everything or it could mean absolutely nothing. Let's move on to the side who are leading the Bundesliga after one game. And surprisingly, it is Stuttgart who beat Bochum 5-0 at the MHP Arena, which is apparently what it's called now. A fantastic performance from Stuttgart. I don't really think I needed to say that, but I decided to say it anyway. And I, I made a mistake before this game because I've started playing Fantasy Bundesliga again and... I have Nubel and Riemann in my fantasy side. So, obviously, Stuttgart's Alexander Nubel, who's on loan from Bayern Munich, and Manuel Riemann for Bochum. And I put Riemann in goal at first. And then, before the games kicked off on Saturday, I was like, no, actually, I think Nubel will probably have a better game than Riemann will. And I tried to change it. And apparently, you can't change your Bundesliga lineup midway through the weekend anymore, which you used to be able to do. Last time I played it, you could. But now there is a fixed deadline for the first 
game of the match week, which I think is a real shame. I think the ability to swap your squad out was actually something that gave it an advantage over other fantasy apps. And let's face it, you are going to go with the app that aligns with the league that you actually watch. But still, I, I thought this was a, a feature that made it better than other fantasy football apps. And yeah, I'm disappointed that they've removed that. Anyway, this is not a conversation about Stuttgart Bochum, so we should probably talk about that instead. But as can be told by the scoreline, Newbel had a significantly better day at the office than Riemann did. Stuttgart got two of their five goals in the first half. The opening goal coming when Hiroki Ito would play a good through ball to say Garassi was able to blast it into the top of the net. Dan Axel Zagadu would head in a corner for goal number two. And it's at this point where I want to share my personal chant for Dan Axel Zagadu because I can't believe that Stuttgart faithful haven't implemented this chant themselves. But <clears throat> Zagadu, do, do, push pineapple, shake the tree. You know, I'm so sorry for that. <laughs> it's the worst thing. Alternatively, you could do the lyrics to Waterloo by Abba Zagadu. I was defeated, you won the war. And that's the only time I'm ever going to sing ABBA. That is my promise to you and a promise to myself. Anyway, this is really not Bundesliga sort of analysis. Let's let's go back into the game. Silas would get two in the second half in the space of seven minutes. First volleying in a great Chris Furyk cross at the back post. And then he would do the exact same with a cross from the other side. The second cross coming in from Pascal Stenzel. The scoring for Stuttgart was rounded off in the 77th minute with a second goal for Sehu Garassi. Timing is run to perfection to break through the defence. Now, this game could mean one of two things. Either Stuttgart are going to be much better than we expect or Bochum are going to be much worse than we expect. Obviously, after last year, we expect these two sides to be in or around the relegation battle. I, I do think that... Stuttgart are probably going to take a step forward on Sebastian Hernes. Obviously, it's best to have him at the helm than, God forbid, Bruno Labbadia. So they should be better, but not all the way better. It's not like we're expecting them to repeat their top half finish from the 2020-21 season. Still, they should be able to progress, and we would have expected them to be better than Bochum before the season anyway, and this game seemingly backs that up. Still, I don't think... They're as doomed as many pundits are predicting they will be. Like, I do think they can compete for safety, but it is going to be another tough season for Bochum as they try and fight for a fourth straight season in the top flight. Let's move on to the next game, and it's a first Bundesliga match for Heidenheim. They travelled away to Wolfsburg for their first match in the top flight, and we've talked about the fairy tale of Heidenheim at length on this podcast before. Playing in the fifth tier in the mid-2000s, they hired current manager Frank Schmidt when they were in the fourth tier, and he has guided the club into the top flight for their first ever season and they had a tough game first time around against Niko Kovac and Wolfsburg away from home. And they would lose 2-0. Jonas Vind getting both goals in the first half. Both ground crosses from the right as well. So it was not the best start to the season for Heidenheim left back Jonas Forenbach. Who really should have done more to prevent both of those goals. Still, Heidenheim are in the Bundesliga. And they're essentially playing with house money because... 
even if they go down, even if they struggle immensely and, you know, they don't pick up many points, they've still had an experience that their fans would have never expected this side to have. So they'll be enjoying every single minute of this season, regardless of what happens. For Wolfsburg, yeah, it was an okay start to the season. I don't think there's really much you can conclude from this game for Niko Kovac and co. Jonas Vind had a really good start to the season, so give credit to him. The other newly promoted side were in action on Sunday. Darmstadt travelling away to Eintracht Frankfurt. Obviously, Darmstadt have played in the Bundesliga before, unlike Heidenheim. This was their first season in the top flight since 2016-17. They would not get off to a winning start, though losing 1-0 to their rivals in the first of many games this season that I have listed as my game of the weekend, which backfired because this game just wasn't that good. It was the first game in charge for Eintracht Frankfurt for new manager Dino Topmoller. He joins the club having last been the assistant of Julian Nagelsmann at both Bayern Munich and at Leipzig. And he does have a connection to the club already because his father, Klaus Topmoller, used to be the manager there. He's better known for being a star striker for Kaislautern in the 70s, but he did also manage Eintracht Frankfurt for the 93-94 season, where they finished fifth and got to the quarterfinals of the UEFA Cup as well. But apparently he didn't get along well with the players, and that was why he was sacked at the end of the season. So hopefully better is to come from Dino than Eintracht Frankfurt got from Klaus. By the way... Top goal scorer that year for Klaus Topmoller and Eintracht Frankfurt, 93-94. Tony Eboa, who, of course, I want to bring up at any possible opportunity. So anyway, he had a 1-0 win in his first game and it was Eintracht Frankfurt's current star striker who would get the only goal of the match as well, Rando Colomuani getting on the end of a Philip Max cross and he looked thrilled to score. I said it last week. Going to say it again this week with rumours mounting about him potentially joining PSG and about him being very desperate to join PSG as well for some reason. Money. Money is the reason. This might be the last time we see him score for Eintracht Frankfurt. Don't give me the nonsense about how he's French and how PSG would be such a great team to join. When everyone is banging the door down to get out, maybe it's not a great team to join. The reason's money. It's objectively money. So, Eintracht Frankfurt getting off to a winning start. It wasn't the best game, as mentioned. Darmstadt could have very easily got a draw here against a side who we expect to be competing for European football come the end of the season. And there is plenty for Torsten Liebenecht to work on, as could be seen by all the shouting he was doing during the game. He was not having the best of times. But it's nice to see that they're... Able to play well against a strong side in the Bundesliga and that Liebenex has already identified so many things that can be improved upon. I think Darmstadt could stay up. I think they're going to give it a real good go this season. And again, there have been a lot of pundits and fans saying that, well, obviously it's just going to be Bochum, Darmstadt and Heidenheim fighting amongst themselves to get that relegation playoff spot and the other two are going to go down. I would not say that's obvious. I mean, it could happen, absolutely it could happen, 
But I would not say it's a foregone conclusion like many people are saying. So yeah, it was nice to see that Darmstadt were able to compete with such a good side and that Torsten Liebenecht has a lot to work on. Bayer Leverkusen 3, Leipzig 2, a winning start for Xabi Alonso this season and a good performance from Bayer Leverkusen as well. Yevamy Fringpong would open for scoring in the 24th minute with Victor Bonifast getting an assist in his first Bundesliga game, a good ball across the box for him. Jonathan Tarr would then head in the corner to make it 2-0 before Danny Olmo would respond with a header of his own to make it 2-1. The best goal of this game came in the 64th minute, actually maybe the best goal of the weekend in general in the Bundesliga. Florian Wirtz with an unbelievable first-time chip over the keeper Yannick Blasvich and his for crossbar and going in absolutely sensational go and watch this goal it was the best goal of the weekend in my opinion Lois Appender would get one on his debut in the league for Leipzig he joined this summer from Lons and less than a minute later he should have made it free all he had an open goal but Jesus Christ <laughs> He, the miss, oh god, we already have a contender for miss for season because it was, <laughs> it was ludicrously bad. He got the ball between his feet. He started stumbling. The goal was wide open, and once he got his feet sorted, he he whacked the ball towards goal and it hit the post. <laughs> oh, it was so bad. It was absolutely terrible, but yeah, go and go and watch this. It, it was so bad that he was subbed off immediately afterwards, and I I don't think Marco Rosa was going to sub him off otherwise. So that's how bad this miss was. It immediately took away from the fact that he had just scored like less than a minute beforehand. The Bundesliga broadcast was still showing the graphic about his goal probability when he missed that. And yet, it immediately erased his goal on his debut. And Jesus Christ, I hope, it, I hope for his sake it gets better for him because that miss was ugly. And it wasn't a, a great performance from Leipzig all round. There were other players who who didn't play well. You might have forgotten that Timo Werner re-signed for Leipzig because he... He might as well have not bothered in this game why he didn't bother. I would also say that one of the new signings, Xavi Simons, didn't play well as well. Uh, Nicholas Sievold had a bad game. I believe that's his debut as, as well. Yeah, he joined from Salzburg this summer. If you're thinking I should probably be more professional, remember that. It's Leipzig. Nobody cares about Leipzig. Even people like me who watch as many games as possible. So yeah, this wasn't a good game for Leipzig. And of course, before the season, there were all of those sort of speculations about how Rosa was going to be the first manager sacked. Even though Leipzig gave him a new contract, that sort of dreaded vote of confidence did not help matters for those who were convinced that he's going to be the first manager out the door. And on the basis of this game, that could very well be the case. Union Berlin, four minds one. Union getting off to a fantastic start in the season where they will first play Champions League football. I mean, it's still absolutely fantastic to say. The Union Berlin fans had a fantastic TFO before this game. I'd recommend going and having a look at that. Obviously, with Union Berlin, since they've been promoted to the Bundesliga, every season has started the same way. No matter how well they do, 
no matter what's come before, no matter the business they do in the transfer window, people say, yeah, but can they really do it again? When they stayed up, can they really stay up again? When they made Europe, can they really keep up with that schedule and do as well again? And even now, even now they've made Europe three seasons in a row, now they're playing in the Champions League, people still have those questions, and understandably so, it's Union Berlin. It's a fairy tale, but at some point it feels like the clock is going to strike midnight. However, Union Berlin put those sort of doubts to rest within 51 seconds because they would take the lead against a very good side in Mainz. Jerome Roussillon playing across a Cross the box to Kevin Behrens for a header. You're going to be hearing that a lot in this segment. In the ninth minute, Union would go 2-0 up. It was the same goal from the other side of the pitch. Christopher Trimmel this time with a cross for Kevin Behrens to head in. Is he a ghost? Because the Mines defence just decided all game long not to bother to mark him. He'd just be standing there. In the middle of the box, we know he's a really good aerial threat, just standing there, and the defence would do absolutely nothing. After that second goal, Robin Zentner was going insane at his defenders, and he had every right to do so, because they all played atrociously. You've got to mark Behrens better than they did. At the beginning of the second half, Mainz would get a penalty. Diogo Lecce bringing down Brahan Gruder. I will learn how to say his name, hopefully, eventually. Stepping up to take the penalty would be Ludovic Ajork. Obviously, he scored a penalty last week in the DFB Pakal against Mainz. And furthermore, just to make you even more confident in his chances of scoring this penalty, Union Berlin keeper Frederick Renault had not saved a penalty in 11 attempts in the Bundesliga, but Ajork's penalty would be very bad. And Renault would guess the right way, saving his first penalty in 12 attempts. Fantastic for him. Not that fantastic for Union Berlin because like two minutes later, Mainz would get a goal anyway. And if you don't think that Florian Wurtz's goal was goal of the weekend, then you probably think that Anthony Cashy's goal was goal of the weekend. A fantastic first time volley. A ball came in. Trimmel tried to head it away, it looped up into the air and Kashi just hitting it so perfectly on the volley first time, there was nothing that Renault could have done about that, it was absolutely fantastic from him. Definitely the best goal of this game and arguably the goal of the weekend, though I think Flamian Verts just about edges it. Anyway, in the 70th minute, so six minutes after that, Union would get their two-goal lead back, and you're going to be stunned when you hear how it was scored. A cross from Geraldo Becker, headed in by Kevin Behrens for his first hat-trick in the Bundesliga, and all three goals were exactly the same. What is the Mines defence doing? Anyway, despite being bad through the entire game, Mainz would get another chance to pull themselves back into the match when they would get a second penalty, and this one was ridiculously bad. It was similar to the Nuremberg-Hanover incident a couple of weeks ago that we discussed on the podcast, but Ludovic Ajork was fouling Robin Knocker. He was pulling on his shirt inside the box, it was a clear foul against Mainz. It should have been a free kick for Union Berlin. But 
as a joke is in the process of fouling Kanoka, he handles the ball, the, the Union Berlin defender, Kanoka, not a joke. So Kanoka handles the ball and the referee determines that that is a penalty. Now, in isolation, he's right because it was a handball. His arm comes swinging towards the ball. It's in an unnatural position. It's it's a penalty on those grounds. But a joke has been fouling him for this point for about three seconds. So the foul comes first. It should have been a free kick for Union Berlin. And like I said, when discussing that Nuremberg penalty, this isn't about the laws of the games anymore. This is about just being able to observe things in the order that they occur. It was absolutely horrific the decision from referee Tobias Steeler. It should have never been given like that. I would be embarrassed looking back at that if I if I was him. Though he did look back at it because VAR told him to look at the monitor. He had a chance to make the correct decision and yet he didn't. It was truly shocking. But what was a worse decision than giving a penalty was Bo Svensson's decision to give the penalty to Ludovic Jork. Now, as mentioned earlier, he is Mines' as penalty taker, but with that first penalty, he showed a complete lack of confidence. It wasn't as if he just kind of got his placement wrong or, you know, he, he put too much power on it and it went wide or over or anything like that. It was even worse because he showed just how nervous he was, he showed he wasn't confident, and for me, that should automatically mean that he doesn't take another penalty in that game. Now, you might say if he misses, he shouldn't take the penalty full stop, and that would be an understandable position, but I don't think any of us thought that Ludovic Ashok should be taking this penalty after how bad that first penalty was, and again, it was a really poor penalty. A joke was clearly lacking confidence and it was saved by Frederick Renault. Going to the other side this time, yeah, he, he really shouldn't have been taking that penalty. You could see it on his face. You could see just how nervous he was. He was in no state to take that penalty. Union would add one more goal in the 96th minute. Debutant Kevin Volland, who none of us saw playing for Union Berlin ever. Neither did we see Robin Gerzens playing for Union Berlin. Obviously, he made his debut in this game too, but Volland with an amazing pass on his debut for Milos Pantovic as he would get the final goal for Union Berlin. A really impressive performance in their first game of the season. Once again, showing just how good they can be as they eye up the Champions League next month. It's just so fun to say. I just want to keep saying it again and again and again. Anyway, let's move on. Werder Bremen nil, Bayern Munich four. Not as fun for us to watch. Bayern Munich once again being Bayern Munich, and I think we know what we can expect from the record meister this season. My favourite part of this game came before kickoff. David Ray was on the Bundesliga World Feed commentary, and he was talking about Bayern Munich's new signing, Harry Kane, obviously making his debut in the Bundesliga in this match. And he was talking about Kane and Werder Bremen's Nicholas Fulkrug as if they were equals, as if they were the same sort of level of football. And of course, that's not a really out there comment because Nicholas Fulkrug last year was the Bundesliga's top goalscorer. But I think we'd all agree he's not on the same level as Harry Kane. And more importantly, the reason I bring it up is just imagine saying that 
two years ago. You would sound like a complete madman. They've put you in a straight jacket, for God's sake. <laughs> so, yeah, I really enjoyed that comment from Derek Friend. Of course, I, I personally believe Nicholas Vulkrug is the best striker in the world, and no one will be able to convince me otherwise, despite the fact that he didn't play well in this game, neither did anyone for Werder Bremen. Bayern Munich getting off to a really fast start, four minutes on the clock when Levoy Sane would score. This is why I don't normally watch Bayern games, to be honest. And they kept it at 1-0 for most of this match. This wasn't a game in which Bayern Munich absolutely ran away with it. This wasn't the win against Eintracht Frankfurt on the opening game last season. And I think Werder Bremen should probably be praised for how they contained Bayern Munich through most of this match. That's not going to make them feel better about the final results but still this could have been a lot worse anyway in the 74th minute it would happen Harry Kane would get a goal on his debut for Bayern Munich and whilst I'm not a big fan of Bayern for obvious reasons I, I do want to see Harry Kane do well there I'm always excited when an English player goes over to the Bundesliga and yeah I like I said in the last episode I do actually quite like Harry Kane he seems like a very nice down to earth person harry if you ever want to come on the podcast you know just give me a ring give me an email whatever but we can arrange that i'm sure i'll be able to find time to accommodate you maybe i just won't talk about magdeburg for as long or, or something like that <laughs> anyway alfonso davis with a good assist for harry kane's goal Bayern would add two more in added time to turn a closer sort of score into a blowout. Levoy Sane getting his second of the game and then Matisse Tal with the fourth bouncing back from the racial abuse he faced after the Super Cup game. So it's nice to see that. And yeah, obviously Harry Kane gets his first taste of the Bundesliga in this game and he had a lot to say after the match. Quote, the fans from both sides were incredible the whole game, really different to some of the Premier League atmospheres I've experienced. And of course it was. Not only is the Vesta Stadion one of the best stadiums in the Bundesliga, not only are Werder and Bayern fans absolutely exceptional, but in general, I think we can all agree, even those of us who don't watch the Bundesliga, which why you listen to this podcast, if that's the case, but I think we can all agree that the Bundesliga and German football in general has far better atmosphere than English football. It just isn't even a contest, to be honest. And yeah, there are going to be times where Harry Kane doesn't get quite the same level of atmosphere as he got in this game, like, you know, when he goes to Augsburg, probably. But in this game, fantastic atmosphere from both sets of fans and a real great introduction to him on what he's going to experience in the Bundesliga. Just a few more things on Bayern Munich before we move on. First one I forgot to mention earlier, which is that obviously Harry Kane playing his first game in the Bundesliga. There was a lot of publicity about that here in the UK and we finally figured out what it takes to get a Bundesliga Friday night game on Sky because this game was on one of the main channels on Sky Sports in the UK. So, you know, finally figured it out. Sky was so excited about this, they even had a YouTube stream of Harry Kane cam, which was, I assume, just a camera following him around. So, yeah, we finally figured out what it takes to get Sky to be actually interested in the Bundesliga. That's nice. The other thing, a lot 
less fun than Sky Sports and Harry Kane. Now, obviously, you will know that this weekend was the Women's World Cup final. Congratulations to the Spanish national team players on winning the World Cup. There's a specific reason I said players and not the national team as a whole. But the players have done really well. They've essentially won a World Cup in spite of the manager. The The manager of the Spanish national team is an absolutely disgraceful human being and the national team players have tried to get him sacked multiple times and with very, very good reason. But they, they won the World Cup in spite of him and that's absolutely fantastic. I give them a lot of credit for that. But obviously there was a controversy around the national team manager and how he, will say, approaches management of, of his players and... We don't need to go into that in this podcast. What we do need to go into is Luis Rubiales, the Spanish Federation's president, the RFEF president, who forcibly kissed multiple players on the mouth for a very long period of time, longer than a normal kiss, and you know, doing it against their will on the mouth for, for a very long period of time, bearing in mind that they're his employees. So this is a boss forcibly kissing his female employee on the mouth for an extended period of time. And a few of them have come out and said, yeah, I didn't like that. I wasn't comfortable with that. I didn't ask him to do that. Ruby Alice has taken a slightly different approach in claiming that every single person who actually has basic common decency is an idiot. So, so that's great. Now, why does this concern German football? Well, in reality, it shouldn't concern German football at all. Now, we should all take a stand against people who do this, particularly to their employees, but this shouldn't actually affect German football, and yet it does, because the right thing to do in response to this, if you have absolutely no connection to the story at all, is to just do nothing, to say nothing, not comment on it, But somebody decided that they did want to comment on it. And yes, it's one of the differing old granddads of Bayern Munich. Because, and I cannot stress this enough, completely unprompted, Karl-Heinz Rummenigger came out and said that he thinks that Rubiales forcibly kissing his female employees on the mouth is, and I quote, absolutely okay. First of all, it's not the 1950s anymore, so it's not okay. And second of all, there was absolutely no need for him to make this comment. This is the absolute pinnacle of the FC Hollywood idea that, you know, the the Bayern board and, and those in charge of Bayern Munich just seemingly want to create drama for no reason whatsoever. That's like the easiest way to interpret this, apart from the fact that Rummenigge is clearly stuck in another era where he's still playing football. Yeah, I absolutely have no idea why why he decided to say anything about this. I could read you more of his quotes, but to be honest, there's no point. They're all incredibly stupid. Just, you know, remember, if you are the boss of a large group of people, maybe don't forcibly kiss them on the mouth. You know, just just advice of life. Don't forcibly kiss any woman on the mouth or any man. Just don't don't forcibly kiss people. I guess that's that's the moral of this story. And don't randomly make controversial claims when you have no need to make them. Hoffenheim 1, Freiburg 2. The goal scoring this game opened in the 39th minute. Attila Salai making a strong impact on his debut for Hoffenheim. 
unfortunately it was the wrong kind of impact because he put it into his own net so you know things can only get better i guess you know i've done enough singing i'm not going to start singing that as well Roland Salai would then make it 2-0 for Freiburg in first half added time. By the way, quick question, are their surnames pronounced the same? Because I don't know, but I, I, I'm like 90% sure that they're both Salai, even though they're spelt differently. But anyway, I'm probably getting it wrong, and hopefully I can correct my pronunciation in future episodes. If you're not used to me mispronouncing names by episode 50, then I, I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, Ursan Kabak would get one back for half an hour in the 50th minute, but it wasn't enough. Freiburg did deserve to win this game overall. Final game then, the Russia Dortmund won Köln nil. And for those of you who think that Dortmund aren't going to be able to compete for the Bundesliga title this time around, this game would... Validate your opinion because they were very bad and for most of this game they didn't deserve anything at all but they would get a goal in the 88th minute Daniel Marlon with that. We need to talk about it and I can't remember if we talked about it on the podcast last year because I think the signing would have come too late but obviously the assist for this goal was from Felix Metcher, the new signing from Wolfsburg and... At the time that it was announced, the Borussia Dortmund fans were not particularly happy that this transfer had gone through. Obviously, Felix Metcher has a history of posting homophobic content onto Instagram and supporting claims about the LGBTQ community that are unfounded and, well, let's just call a spade a spade, flagrantly false. They're just objective lies. He obviously is is strongly religious and there's nothing wrong with that on on the surface but his sort of religion is the type that says that people who are in that lgbtq plus community need to um well you you know right and yeah it's, it's not a comfortable topic to talk about but it's one we have to talk about because we on this podcast, and by we I mean I, because I'm the only presenter, I firmly believe in equality for LGBTQ plus people, I believe in equality for all, I believe at the end of the day that we're all deserving of the exact same rights as one another, and when I see somebody who tries to attack that claim or or tries to attack anyone on the grounds of their sexuality, their race, their gender their sex whatever it really really insults me and enrages me and that was the case as well for many Borussia Dortmund fans when this signing was confirmed because obviously Dortmund is meant to represent all of its fans and obviously there's a large contingent of fans for Borussia Dortmund who are LGBTQ plus who will feel like the club has abandoned them and abandoned its values with this signing and that is particularly important in German football that a club sticks to its values and sticks to what is right. The excuses from Hans-Vakim Vazka at the time were truly pathetic and obviously Metcher made some comments about it himself where he said that, oh, you know, I would never discriminate against people. I'm a good Christian boy. The two things I'll say about the comments he made is that, one, he never apologised. 
he he sort of did that classic non-apology of I'm I'm sorry if you're offended, where he places the blame onto those who were rightfully aggrieved by what he said and saying, well, it's actually your fault, not mine, and that is absolutely scummy. Secondly, I would say that I'm a big believer in the Maya Angelou quote, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time, and with those posts that he, he put on social media, Felix Metzger showed us who he was, and any statement to the contrary should be sort of discarded unless he really goes out of his way to show that that's not who he is, like, you know, helping out with LGBTQ plus causes or something like that. That would show that those are statements from his past and not his present, but until then, believe him the first time. I'll be honest, what happened during this game was disappointing for me because there were banners expressing their dismay at this signing but for the most part as soon as he stepped onto the pitch it felt like Bush Dorman fans just sort of stopped caring about who Felix Metro is as a person and they were like well he's a Borussia Dortmund player so who cares right and for a lot of people listening to this they, they'll probably think well that's fine he's a he's a Dortmund player they're going to support the team but just do me a favor can you can you picture St Pauli doing that and I'm not saying every team has to be St. Pauli, but in this case, I really think all teams should. Can you imagine St. Pauli having a homophobic player and the fans just going, yeah, this is fine. Can you imagine Bayern having that attitude to, towards a homophobic player? Because I can't. And there are many teams up and down Germany for which that applies to as well. Most teams, probably. So it was a real disappointment to see the Dortmund fans just sort of seemingly accept it. I, I was I was massively, massively disappointed by that. Though I, I do want to announce a, a new sort of, I guess, feature onto the podcast this season, which is that every time Felix Metcher gets a goal or an assist for Dortmund, I will be donating £5 to LGBTQ plus charities of my choosing, upwards of £100 over the course of the season, because... If he is going to do well in Dortmund, I would at least like to see charities do well who he would hate and that his success would sort of backfire on his own beliefs. And I hope that anyone listening to this would do the same as well. So yeah, let's turn his success into help for these very important charities who fight against hate. Okay, it's now time to have a very early look at the Bundesliga table. Maybe don't get too excited or too demotivated based on where your side are after one game, but Stuttgart lead the Bundesliga, plus five goal difference and three points. The other sides with three points, Bayern Munich, Union Berlin, Wolfsburg, Leverkusen, Freiburg, Dortmund and Frankfurt in that order. Bochum are the team in last place and then going up for sides on zero points. Werder Bremen, Mainz, Heidenheim, Köln, Darmstadt, Hoffenheim and Leipzig in that order. Augsburg and Mönchengladbach, the only sides who drew there on one point. Honestly, Stuttgart winning the league with Heidenheim and Darmstadt staying up. I'm happy with how this table is looking at the moment. I'll be happy for it to be the table at the end of the season. Stop the count. Stop the count. <laughs> Anyway, player of the week for the first week in the Bundesliga season, I'm going to give it to Kevin Behrens for his hat-trick against Mainz. Who knows, he could actually be a German international sooner than we know it. 
Okay, it's now time to go from match day one of the Bundesliga to match day three of the Spider Bundesliga. And let's start off with one of the first games from this weekend's fixtures, Kaiserslautern 3, Alversberg 2. There was a lot that happened in this game, and again, kind of like what we said in the intro, it was a lot of goals, a lot of excitement, but also controversy too. The controversy would come with the opening goal. There was mayhem from a corner and a header was played through to Kevin Krause who would turn the ball into the Albersberg net for a 1-0 Kaiserslautern lead or so it seemed at the time because they are asked the referee to go and look at the monitor and with good reasoning as well because when he did it was clear that when... The ball was headed to him. I can't remember who from now because I, I can't find the description of the goal and I didn't write it down at the time. But Kraus was clearly standing in an offside position. So that was clear, disallowed the goal. However, when the header was played to him, it deflected off the arm of Carlo Sickinger, the Alversberg defender, and his arm was in an unnatural position and it clearly affected the play. And so, the referee's final decision, it took him a while to get there, but I, I agree with him and I understand that this is complicated, was that the goal was disallowed, but a penalty had to be given. And it comes back to what we said with the Kanoka and a jork incident earlier on, where the foul coming first means that that's the decision that has to be given by the referee so a penalty was given to Kaiserslautern their dismay at the goal being disallowed didn't last long because Kevin Krause would step up and convert the penalty Kaiserslautern did take a 1-0 lead in the end but it was it was quite a roller coaster through those minutes as the decision was being reached by the referee and by VAR just after the beginning of the second half, Alversberg would be level the perfect ground cross from Paul Stock for Manuel Fail, I think is his name. Last week I said Fail, but the commentator on Sky Sports for this game said Fail. So Manuel Fail getting the goal for Alversberg. He was the guy you might remember who was sent off last week in their Pacal game against Mines. So this was a much better performance from him. Alversberg would then take a 2-1 lead in the 62nd minute. Vahid Fajir and Semi Sahin playing an 8-1-2 between each other. The latter slotting past Julian Kral in the Kaiserslautern goal, obviously deputising for Andreas Luter, who was sent off in their last Bundesliga game against Schalke. Just six minutes later, though, after Alversberg had had one or two really good chances to make it 3-1, Kaiserslautern would level the scores. Ragnar Acher heading in a John Zimmer cross. And it was Zimmer himself who would get the win in the 79th minute on the full volley into the bottom corner. Not quite as good as Anthony Cashy's goal for Mines, but still really good. And credit as well to Daniel Hanslick for the cross. He should have been booked later on, Daniel Hansik, for what has to be the most egregious dive of the season so far. But he wasn't, and Kai Slouten would go on to win 3-2. 
So it was a good performance from Kai Slouten. It's their first win of the season, first points of the season as well. Did they deserve to win this game outright? Uh, I don't know. I think Alversburg probably did deserve something, but Kai Slouten aren't going to complain. For Alversburg, one point from three games, but still obviously they're overachieving because they're in the Svita Bundesliga and nobody expected that they ever would be. Holstein Kiel 2, Magdeburg 4. Lucas Schuler opening the scoring in this one for Magdeburg. Him again. Yes, really. Getting on to the end of a really bad back pass before cutting inside a defender to score. It's his fourth straight game in all competitions with a goal. Just to remind you, in all of last season, he scored one goal. And yet he has almost been the star of the opening four episodes of the Going Deutsch podcast for the 2023-24 season. So... Yeah, quite the turnaround in form from him. A bad mistake from Holstein Kiel would also allow Magdeburg to get another going 2-0 up in the 21st minute. Thomas Darner, the goalkeeper, with an horrific bit of goalkeeping to allow Jan Hugene to have a P-roller go in. P-roller, by the way, just a British term for like a, a shot rolling, bobbling along the ground. It really should have had no chance, but I mean... I will say this, in Darner's defence, it does bounce just before it comes to him, so he, he misjudges the ball because of that bounce, but still, you expect better from somebody in the fighter Bundesliga. It's Jan Hugenay's first goal in the league for Holstein Kiel since joining from, brace yourself for this pronunciation, Austria Lusterno. Yes, really. This summer. Steven Skribski would get one back in the 32nd minute, an amazing chip from close range. And then Holstein Kiel would level the scores at the beginning of the second half. A long throw-in, not dealt with by Magdeburg. Philip Sander would get a foot on the ball in the box. But towards the end of the game, it was clear Magdeburg were the better side and clear that they deserved to win. And that is exactly what they would do. 3-2, Bao Bao with a great cross into the box for Luke Castanos and then Baris Attic would capitalise on bad defending to play a ball through to Amit Arslan who cut inside a defender and score. Obviously Arslan a new signing this summer from Holstein Kiel if I remember correctly because last year he was on loan at Dinamo Dresden and he was absolutely fantastic for them but he was a loanee from Holstein Kiel. Yeah, he, he was a loanee from Holstein Kiel so Haunting his former club and Magdeburg have made a really good start to this young Sveitabunds League season. Seven points from their opening three games, which is not what we expected from them. We also didn't expect Lucas Schuler to be the best striker in the Sveitabunds League, so, you know, we've been wrong on several counts. But him, Amara Conde, Jan Hugene, Bao Bao, Daniel Alfadli. They've had quite a few players who have played really well in pretty much every single game they've played so far this season. So a lot of credit to Magdeburg for this great start. Hopefully for their sake they can keep it up. For Holstein Kiel, it's their first dropped points of the season. Anyway, it could be worse for Holstein Kiel because, did you know, with Kanslauten winning and a couple of other results, there's only one side left in the Sveiter Bundesliga who don't have any points yet. Can we guess who it is? Yes, of course, it's Hertha Berlin, the side who were relegated from the Bundesliga last season, making a terrible start to life in the Sveitser Bundesliga. They lost their third game on the bounce. This one, a 3-0 defeat to HSV 
who did have a goal disallowed early on correctly for offside, but after that small hiccup, they would get going. Bakri Yatta would be in plenty of open space for a neat finish from the edge of the box with really good vision from Robert Glatzel to make the pass for that. Then, right at the end of the first half, Hertha Berlin would concede a penalty for handball. It was a correct decision and the penalty was scored by Laszlo Benet. And then, right at the end of the game, in the 82nd minute, a complete defensive breakdown would eventually allow Robert Glatzel to score. This was domination from HSV from beginning to end and I think out of all of the games in the Spider Bunds League this weekend this was the most convincing victory and it could have been a lot more as well. You know you could probably argue that it's the most convincing victory any side have had in the Spider Bunds League so far this season. So that's obviously very good news for HSV. They are top of the Spider Bunds League after three games and in those three games they've had convincing wins over both Hertha and Schalke, the two sides who were relegated from the Bundesliga last season. So I don't think we really need to say anything more about them. What we've said in the past still applies and we expect them to be in that position or a very similar position come the end of the season. For Hertha Berlin, I think it's now time to panic. I think it's time to hit the panic button because this is their third loss in three Spider Bundesliga games, bottom of the league, the only side who haven't picked up a point yet. And yes, two of those games were against Fortuna Dusseldorf and HSV, the side who finished fourth last season, the side who finished third last season. But still, they shouldn't be getting dominated like they have been in these two games. I think Dusseldorf, like I said, could have easily won that game by more if they'd just been a tad bit better. And HSV, honestly, it could have been 5 or 6 nil on Saturday night. And of course, there is one game that's not been mentioned so far, but that was a 1-0 loss against Vahen, who pretty much everyone thinks is going to be relegated, though, based on their starts, that might actually not be true. So... I don't know where to go with Hertha Berlin. I don't know what else to say. Once again, they were terrible. Harris Tabakovic started up front and honestly, kind of like Florian Niederlach in the past two games, he might as well have not bothered. Pascal Clemens again as well. It feels harsh to pick on an 18-year-old, but every time he plays, he just looks like he's not yet ready to be a player at the Spider Bundesliga level. Marco Victor, who really should be ready to play at the Spider Bundesliga level, considering that he's played in the Bundesliga quite a lot over the last few years. He was terrible yet again. I think, you know, weirdly enough, I, I'm repeating myself, but the one player who stood out for me for Hertha Berlin was probably Fabian Reiser. And he's used to this league, he understands it, he knows what he needs to do, and he's the only one who's really getting consistently good performances for Hertha Berlin. I think four of them were already at the stage where it's win or out for Paul Dardai. He has to he has to turn this around immediately because at the moment it's really looking bad. Obviously Armenia Bielefeld last year sacked their first manager after four games and the way they're going Hertha Berlin are going to be in the same boat this season. The comparisons that can be made between Hertha Berlin and Armenia Bielefeld are, are plentiful and incredibly worrying. So at the moment I have absolutely no faith that Hertha Berlin will be able to turn it around. Still 31 games to go though so if you want to look at it positively I guess that's how 
Let's move on to the other relegated side because they've started off the season poorly as well. Eintracht Braunschweig 1, Schalke 0. The only goal of this game coming in the 21st minute. Anthony Uja playing through a wide open Fabio Kaufmann. A complete breakdown of the Schalke defence and he was able to slot into the bottom corner. Schalke would score later on Team Montrada, but it was disallowed for offside correctly. So, and to be honest, the best chances through the rest of the game came from Eintracht Braunschweig. They could have won this game by more. They were the better side overall. So for Schalke, that means three points from three games. They obviously lost the opening game of the season to HSV, and there's no shame in that because it was away from home, and HSV are clearly going to be a good side this season. But... This loss to Braunschweig is concerning. Their only win, of course, as well, it should be said, coming against Kaiserslautern two weeks ago now. But that was a game in which Kaiserslautern were down to nine men. And even when it was 11 on 10, Schalke weren't significantly the better side. And they really should have been in that circumstance. But, yeah, this is, this is a worrying start to the season. This is the most worrying result so far. I'm not panicking in the same sense I'm about here to Berlin. I do think they can turn it around. I think there have been far more promising performances in this Schalke side than there have been in the Hertha Berlin side. But if you are a Schalke fan and you are panicking, I, I can see why. Because this, this has not been the start of the season that I think most of us envisioned when we saw that Schalke had the fixtures that they had. By the way, I should have mentioned Eintracht Braunschweig played for closing minutes with 10 men. Brian Berendt was sent off for his second yellow card of the 95th minute, sorry, 97th minute. Correct call for a tactical foul. But Eintracht Braunschweig getting their first win of the season. They would have not expected to come against Schalke. But then again, we should remember these two played in the DFB Pacal last week. And Schalke won, and there is that old maxim about how the team who wins in the cup loses in the league, and vice versa. So maybe that's why, if you want to be optimistic as a Schalke fan. Let's talk about a team who are overperforming instead of two teams who are underperforming, and it's Vehen, who go on to seven points from their opening three games, joint top of the league with Magdeburg and HSV, following their 1 0 win over Karlsruhe. Only goal of the game coming from Hyunju Lee with a curling finish into the top corner from outside the box. Paul Nabel would have a goal disallowed for offside in the second half. A good goal as well. I think it was probably just about the correct call. At the point that game finished, Vehen went to top of the Spider Bundesliga, which is absolutely sensational. We all expected them to really struggle this season, and they might still do because you might remember... Last year, Jan Regensburg made a really good start to the season and then were eventually relegated. And that could happen to Vehem, but they came up through the playoffs as the weakest of the three Dutch League sides to get promoted. And then they sold most of their best players and didn't seem to adequately replace them. But this start to the season has been the strongest among all of them and obviously the joint strongest in the league as well. And they have deserved it they deserve that win against Hertha Berlin they deserve this win against Karlsruhe as well and the game against Magdeburg while Magdeburg have also joined top they got a point against them despite being down to 10 men for most of the second half so there is no complaining with how they are doing this is a deserved good start to the season a great start to the season in fact 
They won this weekend. Another newly promoted side did not. Osnabrück 2, Nuremberg 3. They made it competitive at the end, but Nuremberg were in control for most of this match, going 3-0 up. Chanazun getting the first goal. It's his third goal in his last two Spider Bundesliga games. Fantastic start to the season for the 17-year-old. Lucas Slimer would then make it 2-0 in the 70th minute with a powerful shot from outside the box. And when Benjamin Goller would make it 3-0 in the 84th minute, it looked like game over. But step forward, Christian Conte, who would score two in the space of three minutes. His first goal since signing from Feyenoord this summer. Obviously, last season, Conte was on loan at Dynamo Dresden. And he is the younger brother of Paderborn player Sir Lord Conte. So... That was good for him, and Osnabrück had a few really good chances in added time to get a point, and it wouldn't have been too unearned because of how well they did in those closing stages, but they weren't able to finish any of them, and 3-2 would be the final score. Obviously, it's hard to come to too many conclusions about Osnabrück through the opening three games of the season, but obviously, they've had two games at home, and both of them were narrow 3-2 defeats, and then they drew away at Paderborn. So, I think we can say through these opening three games, they look like they belong at this level. They're not going to be like 20 points behind everyone else come the end of the season. They, they do look like they can compete, and obviously, as... Tobias Schweinsteiger and his team get used to this level, they will probably be able to draw out more results. So I do have faith in them on the basis of these opening three fixtures, even though they've only got one point out of them. Fortuna Dusseldorf 1, Paderborn 2. Paderborn with their first win of the season. Fortuna Dusseldorf with their first loss of the season. Goal scoring opened in the fifth minute from Florent Muslia when he would convert on a David Kinsombi cross. Jordi Device would head in an equaliser for Fortuna Dusseldorf in the second half. The winner would come from Sir Lord Conta finishing off a fast counter attack. All in all, this was a fairly even game. Either side could have won it, but Paderborn, with that good counter-attack after the Fortuna Dusseldorf equalised, just two minutes afterwards as well, which sort of proves the idea of teams being more complacent when they've just scored, being the difference in the end. Hans of Ostock 1, Hanover 2. There was a early goal of the season contender at the beginning of this game, at least for the Spider Bundesliga. 22 minutes on the clock. Phil Neumann with an amazing chip from the right hand edge of the box. Fantastic. Maybe even better than the Florian Wirtz goal. I'm not. Not quite sure, though. Those two were very similar in quality. Ben Neumann would get on to the end of a cross and place it perfectly into the bottom corner of his own net to make it one all. Talk about going from hero to zero. I saw somebody on, I believe, Reddit. I can't remember who it was, so I apologise for stealing this comment, but they, they perfectly summed up how he did by saying, Neumann giveth, Neumann taketh away. That was absolutely perfect. Anyway, Hanover would win the game in the 87th minute. They would get a penalty for handball. It was the correct decision from the referee, and Cedric Toysher would step up to score that penalty. Hanover, easily the better side in this game, in my opinion. Though Hansa had more possession, they couldn't really do anything with it. Their only goal of the game. Coming from 
the magnificent scoring beast that is Phil Neumann. Two goals in this game, if you don't particularly care for what net he put them in. But yeah, his first goal was absolutely fantastic and a goal of the season contender. Final game to mention, Greuterfirth nil, St. Pauli nil. Sometimes I wonder why I bother because this game and the game against Fortuna Dusseldorf on match day two, truly terrible to watch. They were absolute wastes of time. If you are able to access the highlights of this game on YouTube or any other app of your choice, just don't bother. Don't bother watching it. You know, I could re-watch the entire 90 minutes thanks to my St. Paolo TV subscription, but I'm not going to. I wouldn't even watch 60 seconds of that game again. In the first half, Dapo off the line was shown a yellow card for challenge. To be honest, for me, it should have been red. I don't want to admit that because I love Dapo off the line and I obviously want St. Pauli to win and have no bad decisions against them ever. But it was a red card, stood showing straight into the ankle of an opponent. VAR decided not to ask the ref to have a look at it, which was a real surprise for me. That wasn't the end of the bad decisions in this game, though, because Greuterfirth had been negatively affected by that one. St. Pauli would be negatively affected by one in the second half. A goal was disallowed incorrectly. Andreas Albers was standing in an offside position from a free kick, but a defender headed it on, which is a deliberate play of the ball. And I did double-check this with the rule book just to make sure I wasn't going completely insane. But yeah, a header does constitute a deliberate play of the ball. He, he deliberately headed it. The fact it didn't go where he wanted it to doesn't matter and yeah it went straight to Albers who was able to score but the referee decided to disallow it which was objectively and I cannot stress this enough objectively the wrong decision so really really bad refereeing there from Tom Bauer St. Pauli overall didn't deserve to win this game nobody deserved anything from this game except the fans who deserved a refund but <laughs> they were robbed with that decision at the end Okay, let's have a look at the Spider Bundesliga table then after three match days. HSV lead the way on seven points. They are joined at the top by Magdeburg and Wehen, who are also on exactly the same number of points. Hansa Rostock and Holstein Kiel both have six. Meanwhile, Hanover and St. Pauli on five points are the only other sides bar the top three who are undefeated. At the wrong end of the table, Hertha Berlin, bottom of the league, were quite used to that at this point. They're the only side who haven't picked up a single point this season. Meanwhile, Osnabrück and Alversberg in the relegation places are the only other sides who haven't picked up a win through their opening three games. It is with a heavy heart that I have to say that Spider Bundesliga Player of the Week was Robert Glatzel of HSV. None of us want to hear that, but a goal and assist in their 3-0 win over Hertha Berlin, very well deserved. The other guy who I think was really within a shout of winning the award was Christian Conter of Osnabrück, but his side didn't win, so I decided Glatzel edged it for that reason. I also forgot to do the FB Pacal Player of the Week last week, so I'm going to do that now. It was Marcus Mendler for his goal and assist against Darmstadt, so well done to him on his late award. Okay, let's have our usual quickfire look at the Dritte League. There are only two sides who have a 100% record after two games. 1860 Munich and Victoria Köln, the former, winning 3-0 away at Duisburg this weekend. Meanwhile, the latter would win 2-1 away at Saarbrücken. 
There are four teams who are on four points. Jan Regensburg, who won 2-1 away at Ville. Edsbjerg Au, who drew one all with Rottweiss Essen. Bruce Dortmund Schwey, who won 1-0 at home to Freiburg Schwey. And Sandhausen, who won 1-0 at home to Dynamo Dresden. The only other side who haven't lost so far this season are Lubeck, who have drawn both of their opening games. They drew 2 all with Waldorf Mannheim. The wrong end of the table... Ville are the only side who haven't picked up a single point, as mentioned, losing to Jan Regensburg. Then Prussian Munster, Duisburg and Waldorf Mannheim are in the relegation places. Prussian Munster losing 4-0 to Armenia Bielefeld, who look like they might be finally heading in the correct direction. Though, you know, let's maybe be a bit cautious when saying that. As mentioned, Duisburg lost 3-0 to 1860 Munich. Meanwhile, as mentioned, Wardorf Mannheim drew with Lubeck. Okay, as promised in the last episode, it is time for the grand return of Kit Clash. Let everyone around the world rejoice. Obviously, this is something I did last year on Going Deutsch and two years ago on the Sports Blitz with a group of other people from University Radio York where we look at the best kits. Well, now in Germany, the first edition on the Sports Blitz was in England. But this is every kit in Germany fighting for the crown of Going Deutsch's best kit of the season last year, won by Stuttgart and obviously... Hoping to avoid the title of Going Deutsch's worst kit of the year last time around. That unfortunate honour or dishonour, I guess, fell to Eintracht Frankfurt for their third kit. I think, honestly, I've tried to forget it since. But it's time to begin the quest to find the best kit of the season and the worst kit of the season. I'm going to do so by starting off with the Dritter Liga qualifying round. If you want to look at all these kits as I'm talking through them or you just want to do your own personal kit clash, then you can find them at a website called footballkitarchive.com. Absolutely fantastic website for looking at kits. I highly recommend you go and visit. This is not sponsored by them, but I wish it was. Anyway, I will leave a link to the Drizzly kits in particular in the notes for this podcast or description for this podcast saying description makes it sound too much like it's youtube and this is not on youtube nor will it probably ever be anyway let's start off then by going through the five kits that i think are the worst in the dritter league this season this was a lot harder than it was last season because i think the quality of kits in the dritter has definitely gone up this season last year they were all boring this year there are actually a few really really good kits I should say as well, before we start, second team kits will not be considered. So Dortmund Schwey and Freiburg Schwey will not have any chance to be nominated in this round. If they want to get nominated, they have to do so through their first teams in the Bundesliga. So let's start off then with the five worst kits. And the first one is Ingolstadt's third kit, which is brought to us by Puma. At first, I was going to go with the away kit because it is the dullest thing I've ever seen. You can't just put a badge in the centre of the kit and think it's quirky and interesting. But then I saw the third kit, and to be honest, I thought it was a goalkeeper's kit at first because it's a sort of generic Puma kit in a... Not particularly nice looking orange, and yeah, I just, I, th I think the pattern on it, it just screams goalkeeper kit, and having 10 of those 
in the outfield is just going to look awful. So, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. That is the first nominee for worst kit of the season. It should actually be stressed that the actual goalkeeper kit does have a very similar pattern on it. It just it looks like a goalie kit. It shouldn't be worn by outfielders. That's a baseball reference, but who cares? We're, we're sticking with it. <laughs> anyway... The next kit, Halishare's third kit, which comes to us from Puma. So, two things with the Halishare kit. First of all, I don't think it would have normally been nominated because normally there are five worst kits than it. And also, I would have maybe put the Ingolstadt kit in if I didn't want to try and avoid putting in a team more than once for the same category. But this kit also isn't good. It's very boring and to be honest when the most interesting thing about your kit or the thing that most stands out is the sponsor which is a green m from mobile bet then this oh which by the way is a betting company which no bad yeah it's not it's not great so yeah i decided that the hella share kit was probably the one that had to go in it's it's probably fifth worst out of these five but still it's not a good kit next is the untashing away kit brought to us from uhl sport look i know normally i say that i like clean plain simple kits but there is such a thing as too plain and too simple. And this is just any £5 t-shirt or €5 Euro t-shirt that you can find with a untashing badge slapped on it. It just looks so budget and uninspiring. And like a side who, you know, don't fit in with some of the snazzier professional sides in the Dritterliga. Next kit, Lubeck's home kit brought to us by Capelli. Now, I'm going to make a very specific reference. And those of you who know about this team's kits will know what I mean immediately. And those of you who don't will have no clue what I'm talking about. But, Harrogate kits. Now, Harrogate are the team in League 2. They're very good. They're overachieving dramatically. But... Their kits have the same sponsor on. They have done for the last few years. And, you know, I cannot remember the company's name now off the top of my head. But the sponsor is this massive red square that is visible from space. It is ridiculous. It is far too big. And it just takes up far too much of the kit. And this is the case with the Lubeck kit. Because the base design is actually okay. And it's typical Lubeck. But the sponsor, Hansabelt, is is not good it takes it's got this massive white box around it it's far too distracting if you're gonna have a logo like that you need to try and blend it into the kit better they've not made any attempt to do so it just looks really ugly and really plastered on i do not like it finally the fifth kit that's going to be nominated for worst kit from the dritter league victoria kuhn also brought to us by capelli so puma getting two nominations capelli getting two nominations as well and this kit is boring. Kind of like the Hallershare third kit that we mentioned earlier. If the thing that stands out most about your kit is the sponsor, you've done something wrong. It's pay news, which I've never heard of. 
and I can't guess what they are just based off the logo. It kind of looks like the Venkis logo, so maybe it's Venkis Chicken just for Germany. But yeah, it, it's not an interesting kit at all. The home kit, I I kind of I don't know if I like it or I hate it, but it's sort of a a retro. 90s feel in fact sorry i should say now that i've now i've looked it was based on the kit for the 93 94 season so yeah it's got a very 90s feel because it is a kit from the 90s and i can't tell if i love it or i hate it but it i definitely have opinions about it and that's better than being bored to death by a kit which is the case for the victoria kiln away kit Let's move on then to the five kits that are the best in the Dritteliga. And there was a lot of competition and potentially a few controversial picks along the way. But I like these kits and I hope you do too. The first one, Armenia Bielefeld's home kit. This is brought to us by Macron. And I like this kit because it's got a very rugby league feel about it with the V design on the front of the kit and the black and white shoulders as well really fantastic i hate absolutely hate armini bielefeld's third kit because it's red and white and it reminds me of saint helens and that's bad but the home kit is really good that's a specific rugby league reference so well done if you understand that most people in england probably should but if you're a listener from overseas then you're absolutely probably not going to get that anyway Let's move on. Armini Bielefeld's kit, really good. The next kit, Doisberg's third kit, which is brought to us by Capelli. And a lot of people do not like this kit, but I really like it. It is green. It's in the sort of design of leaves. It's meant to represent the city's green areas, including the zoo and the botanical gardens. And it does so fantastically. I, I really think this is a unique interesting kit i would definitely buy one if i was a doisberg fan i do get the idea that it's childish almost because it's almost like rainforest cafe levels of jungle design but i i like it i, I think it's good and it's unique it stands out it's everything you want in a kit in my humblest of humble opinions next the dino dresden home kit brought to us by umbro umbro a fantastic kit manufacturer and to be honest all three of their kits could have made it and it was a really tough choice to pick between the three but i decided to go with the home kit in the end a unique pattern on the front well i don't know if it's unique they might be putting that in for quite a lot of kits this year the quote on Football Kit Archive uses a word that I don't get to use a lot in my day-to-day -day life, which might be concerning based on who you are, but it's got a parallelogram design. God, I've not used the word parallelogram since I was in school. So, yeah, a nice design on the front. It really stands out. So, credit to Umbro for the Mod Residence Kits. Though all of them are absolutely fantastic. They all easily could have got nominated. Next, the Edzaba Ow Home Kit, which is brought to us by Nike. At first, it's just a standard template kit, but I really like the design of the bottom right of the shirt, which is a picture of a head frame, which is commonly used in mining, which is very common in the Ow area. So that's absolutely fantastic. It makes the kit unique. It makes it stand out final one to mention the 1860 munich away kit this is brought to us by nike as well so they are the only 
kit manufacturer who get two nominations from the Dritter Liga. It is a fantastic navy blue and turquoise blue striped kit. And yeah, it's really nice for home kits, really nice as well for 1860 Munich this year. So it feels fitting that one of their kits gets in. So next week it's going to be the Zweiter Bundesliga qualifying heats as the quest to find the best kit in Germany this season continues. Okay, it's now time to wrap up with Topswheel Das Wochenender und Unter der Woche, which Google Translate reliably tells me means and midweek. I've not learned that yet on the language app of my choice, though this time, unlike with a certain URY show, I did reverse translate it just to make sure it didn't mean something else, so that was good. Anyway, let's go into the games and all times given in Central European summertime. If you're in the UK, knock off one hour. My Bundesliga game of the weekend, Heidenheim versus Hoffenheim, Saturday, 3.30pm kickoff. I think after going for Darmstadt last week, it was fair to go for Heidenheim this week. It's their first match. At the Voif Arena in the Bundesliga, very exciting game for the people of Heidenheim. Granted, they could have had a more interesting side from the most boring team in Germany. But, you know, it's going to be a good occasion anyway. They're going to not be complaining too much if they have to play the boring team of Hoffenheim. And to be honest, they can't even use the insulted village team because Heidenheim is also very very small so not not as small as Hoffenheim not even close but but still it's going to be a great occasion though for fans of Heidenheim my Spider Bundesliga game of the weekend is Hertha Berlin against Reuter Firth this is a must win for Pal Dardai if if they don't win this I see no way he can continue as the manager of Hertha Berlin obviously three games three losses so far Reuter Firth Eighth in the league, they've had a win, a draw, and a loss, four points. They are a middle of the road Spider Bundesliga side, and if they can't pick up points here, then I, I see no hope for Paudardai to remain. It is a Saturday, one o'clock kickoff. Finally, the Dritter Liga is having games in midweek this time around, so I'm going to mention them instead of a game from the weekend, and my game is Ulm against Armenia Bielefeld. That game tonight, as this podcast is uploaded, Tuesday, 7 o'clock. Obviously, these two sides were Wolves apart last season. Ulm were in the Regional League, Armenia Bielefeld in the Spider Bundesliga. They meet as, well, equals tonight, nearly. Ulm 13th in the league on one point, Armenia Bielefeld 9th in the league on three points. Armenia Bielefeld wanting to show that their 4-0 win this weekend at home to Prussian Munster, another newly promoted side, wasn't a fluke. Meanwhile, Ulm hoping to take down one of the big boys and get their first win of the season. I also have to mention that on Thursday at 7 o'clock, the Europa Conference League returns. As far as German teams are concerned, Eintracht Frankfurt are travelling to Levski Sofia of Bulgaria, so best of luck to them. Anyway, that's all the time we have on the 50th episode of the Going Deutsch podcast. It's been so fantastic to do this over the last 18 months. Obviously, there's going to be many more episodes to come. Hopefully, here is to the next 50 episodes. I hope I can make it to 100. But for now, that's all the time we have. I've been Alex Woodward, and until we meet again, happy 50th to us, and I'll be the same.